feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, are you ready to grab a slice and kick back and relax 1970s style? You got a soggy bottom there, bud? Oh yeah, super uh, soggy. Today we... <laughs> I hate that word. Uh, today we are reviewing Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Licorice Pizza. Marvel uh, star- Stan, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson. God bless him. God bless him. Uh, starring Alana Haim, uh, Cooper Hoffman, uh, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, uh, and many, many more. Um, Eric, we saw this at Tiff Bell Lightbox a few weeks back. Yep. Uh, I thought we were seeing it on film. I do not believe we did. I could be wrong, but um, it was pretty pristine if it was film. Yeah, and I didn't hear like a little tick, 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 tick of like a film projector or anything like that. But that being said, that's you know whatever that we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about the look of the film. But um, how are you doing on this fine Sunday? Well, Matt, we've been recording reviews like nobody's business. We have ones up for uh, Nightmare Alley, Red Rocket. Uh, We'll have one up for Kingsman and many, many more. You can also listen to our uh, reviews from both Sundance and um, South by Southwest, where we did reviews for The Novice and uh, Fleet, which are now finally getting uh, theatrical releases and uh, digital releases. Cool. Um, let's kick it off. I know it's one of your uh, favorite films of the year. It might be your favorite. I don't want to spoil anything, but your favorite non Bo Burnham Netflix special movie of the year. Yes, that's very specific, <laughs> but also very precise. I think we're I, both in the same. When we put out the Untitled Movie Podcast uh, Critics Awards, which is just me and you, I, something I want to do, which I'm spoiling it on this um, this review because it, it it will be one of the movies probably, but. Um, I would love, you know, how like critics groups put out like the LA Film Critics Group awards this, but ours will just be a bunch of ties because there's only two votes and we each have different choices. But Bo Burnham's Inside, we can award Best Film of the Year. Anyways, uh, Licorice Pizza, go for it. Yeah, so this is Paul Thomas Anderson returning to what he is known best for, that kind of hangout movie that is a period piece taking place in the early 1970s in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, specifically, we follow two characters, one uh, Gary Valentine, who's kind of a man about town, 15 year old, kind of always taking advantage of a, a new hustle, um, very charming and likable and also a child actor who's kind of aging out uh, now, but still taking opportunities where he can. Uh, he meets uh, Alana Himes uh, character, who's also named Alana, who at the time that she meets Gary is working uh, for a photographer. It's during picture day and their lives continually intersect. And we see this kind of mostly platonic, but romantic relationship form between the two as they kind of go from business venture to kind of situational comedy at times. And also as Paul Thomas Anderson finds nostalgia in the things that he loved, even though he was wasn't born or didn't grow up in the early 1970s. He kind of idolizes them. You see him kind of looking at the 1970s and saying, hey, 
you know, not everything was, you know, rosy cheeked and, 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 and as wonderful as you, you know, thought it was, you know, from growing up, there were things that were problematic. Uh, and we'll get into that conversation because I think it is one worth having in terms of where the story goes and what happens. One of uh, my favorite scenes in the movie involves uh, Mr. Bradley Cooper showing up in a small cameo role as uh, famous, uh, a star is born producer, John Peters. A lot of people probably <laughs> remember him most as someone that uh, Kevin Smith would talk about on his evenings with where Kevin Smith was a writer on Superman lives, which John Peters was a producer on. Um, and he would say that like John Peters wanted a giant spider in the storyline. And that ended up uh, in wild, wild, West, wild, right? wild, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and he's also um, a character that Warren Beatty kind of, inspired uh his shampoo character on or based him on and so there's this amazing sequence that's kind of an action sort of uh based moment as well with this truck going downhill uh it's 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 fun it's freewheeling it's all the things that you kind of would expect from paul thomas anderson especially when you think of like boogie nights or magnolia as ensemble pieces but it's done in a way that's from the point of view of of somebody looking back at it and, and able to kind of say like you know, it wasn't a perfect time either. And I think that that's really, really interesting. I love the characters. I love the world. I think Alana Haim is incredible. Um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson has worked with the Haim sisters, uh, you know, directing some of their music videos. And you can tell that, you know, all these characters, especially the two leads, uh, Cooper Hoffman, who is the son of uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, feel like real people you know their their imperfections in their blemishes and in their you know the, the crookedness of their teeth makes it all very much more authentic it doesn't kind of feel like it's actors playing parts there's a lot of running to each other there's a lot of weirdness in terms of how they navigate relationships there's fun cameos throughout uh yeah i i love the movie but it's at the same time i think that there are some criticisms that are worth having to, 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 to have that conversation yeah, and I mean I can bring them up because like I, I'm a little mixed on on the movie overall. I think I ultimately kind of enjoyed it uh, as that hangout movie. Um, I know people are comparing it. I know it's a PTA movie, but also a Richard Linklater kind of style movie, um, where you know not much plot per se. It's more so just you know hanging out and and living the lives of these these uh, I won't say kids. One is a young person and one is a 25 year old woman um still young obviously and i know you're still f trying to figure out your life is in 25 and people can be lost and you know i, I and things like that i totally understand that um i guess oh god it feels it, it's unreal that that was like seven years ago for me being 25 um but i i understand that but i think my biggest criticism of the movie is that relationship between Alana Heim, Alana and um, Gary, where, you know, I like them hanging out. I like the platonic relationship. I think that's mostly fine. And, and I know it takes place in the early seventies, so it is a different time. And I'm not necessarily saying the movie kind of projects that relationship as like, uh, you know, okay or anything like that. But I think by the end of the movie, um, while I thought it was like fun seeing Gary kind of start, stop and start all these different businesses, you know, the, the biggest one being the waterbed business called soggy bottom, which is the reference I made, which was going to be the original title of the movie. Um, I think just by the end of it, um, 
I didn't care all that much. And while I laughed at certain sequences and I thought the look and the production design again, it, I, there's a theme this award season or the end of the year for me where it's like these master filmmakers have made these movies that I think from a technical standpoint are very, very impressive. And whether I like the look of them um, or how they transformed, you know, um, LA into, you know, seventies LA and, and, uh, or the San Fernando Valley into the seventies. It's just like, it's really impressive. I love that it's shot on film. I agree with you with the actors feeling authentic. I think Alana Haim is phenomenal in the movie and she's captivating and, and funny and, and, uh, engaging throughout. And, um, there are certain moments I pick out that I really, really like, but then for the talent me, agent specifically, I think, is one of the best. That sequence is phenomenal. There's a sequence with Benny Safty that's, I think, great, like a, a dinner scene. But also very um, heartbreaking. Yes, but I think is is one of the better scenes in the movie. And I, I find myself picking out certain sequences that I like. But to me, um, it just doesn't all kind of come together. And whether that's like, you know, the music is fantastic. The cinematography is is great with that like filmic look. Um, it's just, it is a fun hangout movie, but I found myself just thinking it was that and I'm not thinking about it all that much or it didn't like resonate with me. And I think my biggest problems were, you know, the, the treatment of that relationship of her being 25 and him being 15. And, you know, you're still young when you're 25, but I feel like if that, was swapped and it was someone in their late twenties as a man, uh, hanging out with a young 15 year old girl. And the way that it's portrayed in this movie is just this like fun loving kind of like it was the seventies kind of thing. Like, is it wrong? Is it not wrong? Like, I'm just kind of presenting it to you. But like in my head, I'm like, it's not, she's not taking advantage of Gary. If anything, um, you know, Gary, it's very one-sided for the majority of the movie of Gary being, you know, he's 15, he's horny. He, he wants to get with girls. Like I, I get all that and why he's in love with Alana. Like I totally understand that from his side, but, and her side thinking it's kind of like, Oh, this kid, like he's charming and I like hanging out with him because, and he does feel older than he is. I just, to me, I couldn't get past that in my head of feeling like it was okay that, they were hanging out with one another. And I do think it leans more towards going, ah, it's fine rather than being that it's not so great. And then mind you, a 10 year gap, you know, if she's 45 and he's 35 or, you know, she's 35 and he's 25, it's like, okay, then no one would be talking about it. But I think it's that, is she 25? Is she 28? He's a 15 year old kid. She keeps hanging out with him. And while the stories are funny and, and things like that, I think where the movie ultimately ends up, I'm like, it kind of played it off as too light and fluffy and fun for what was happening for me. And then I also had an issue with um, some of the comedy in the movie, especially a scene with what's his name. Who's in John Michael of, Higgins. John, yeah. Who John plays Michael Jerry Higgins. Frick, who was one of, who was the first um, owner of a Japanese restaurant in the uh, mm-hmm. San Fernando Valley. And that's and that. so this is also this is the other thing that I didn't mention in, in sort of just the synopsis there. It is loosely based on or anecdotally based on uh, producer Gary Goatsman's uh, own sort of coming Stories of age in the 1970s, stuff, yeah. who's probably now best known as uh, Tom Hanks's producer. He produces mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Hanks's movies. 
which I sure if it's based on, you know, true stories and whatever, taking, you know, artistic liberties and, you know, um, exaggerating them a bit or whatever is, is fine for, for a movie. So again, the movie's presenting it and not necessarily, but I do think at times it's leaning towards like, and that sequence specifically where we're talking about where, you know, the guy who owns a Japanese restaurant, he has, um, you know, a, a wife or a partner who, who doesn't speak English. And then he speaks in this very kind of, uh, offensive um, accent. And I feel like the movie is playing it like it wants its cake and wants to eat it too. Or what's the saying? I fucked that up. Completely. No, no, no. But like you, it you wants want to have cake its cake and eat, eat it too. too. Yeah. Where I feel like it's saying like, Oh, what he's doing is wrong. Like that. It's the seventies. Some guys were just like that. But then also I think is very much playing it for laughs. And I feel like it is almost so over the top that it takes me completely out of this, you know, this time period and what he's doing with this fun kind of freeform, like hangout kind of movie where, you know, it is going, Oh, like you said, it's saying not everything back then was great of how producers treated people or how whatever. And I just feel like that scene specifically, and it goes back to it and does it again to the point where I'm just like, I, it's stuff like that that just completely ripped me out of it. And I go, I don't, I don't like this. Cause I feel like you are playing this for laughs. It reminded me of, um, in, uh, uh predator, the remake, uh, by Shane black, um, with the kind of Tourette stuff where, um, I just feel like, or it, even it the is, autism, how that's kind of portrayed in that movie. Yes, absolutely. Where I just feel like it's it, it's not handled super well. And even if you go to your point, Eric, where it's saying, "Well, not everything back then, you know, was great," is like that's one thing. But I mean, I think that scene is very much played for comedy, and that doesn't just super sit well for me. Yeah. So I'll start there. I, I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that is the one scene where, or two scenes, actually, that, that's, I think that's my biggest problem with it. Like, I think to get his point across that in the 1970s, or just even when you're growing up as a kid, and you see somebody do something, especially when it's an adult, do something offensive, but kind of find it funny because you're younger, and you just think that they're ridiculous. It's like, you just needed to do the one scene and and play that off and say like okay or even like even the little moment afterwards that i think actually really does work quite well when they see them when they go back to that restaurant and and uh um gary and alana are trying to pitch him and sort of sell him on um you know promoting the waterbeds there with like the, the flyers um Alana goes into the washroom and sees one of the people working there who's a Caucasian woman um, that she's a friend with. Yeah. And I think that actually works really well in terms yes, of Yes, because like, it's not played for laughs, no, but you no. can kind of, there's some subtext there and then yeah. you can kind of, yeah. Keep but, but I also do think that Paul Thomas Anderson, his intentions weren't necessarily to mock Asian culture, specifically Japanese. I Rather think than it, white men who are- yeah, Who are complete and total idiots and also- offensively racist and to the point where Gary's laughing at it. It's like you're laughing at it because you think it's funny as a kid. And then when you grow up, you realize how idiotic it was and also just offensive and hurtful. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's very uncomfortable. 
Um, it's brought up more than once and it doesn't feel like it needs to be done more than once. Like you could have done it in one mm-hmm. scene to get that point. Even across. the one, I just felt like it was such a character and I don't want to focus too much on that. Because no, no, the no, no. I know, but, but I do think that that is important to you and, and, mm-hmm. and worth bringing up because again, it made us feel uncomfortable. And I think that's the ultimate intent, but I do worry that people will watch that and find that funny specifically white audiences. And I agree. And I feel like the way that it's presented needed to be in a way that wasn't as like, it was so much on the caricature, like over the, and the rest of the movie's not that maybe John Peters, like Bradley Cooper is a little over the top. And like, there are zany, crazy things that are happening that are fun, but I feel like they're on the same level of the rest of the movie. And I feel like that scene specifically, and I almost couldn't get back into the movie after that because it plays pretty early um, where I was so, I was put off by that scene so much that it was hard for me to get back in. And I ultimately did. And I, I enjoyed the movie, um, but I feel like it's stuff like that, that maybe could have played, like if it does want to make a commentary on how things were back then, or maybe not even a commentary, but just present them how they were. Um, I feel like that movie feels like something ripped out of a completely different movie um, that is of that time, maybe. And maybe that's ultimately what. Or comedies in general, to, right? Yes, like the exactly. Idea we, had that that, comedy, we had an interesting conversation about this. I mean, you look at like comedies every, like every decade as we move further and further into the, you know, the future, like you look back at like even stuff in the early two thousands or just in the last 10 years. And like, you look at the hangover movies and look at the problematic stuff that it's in Absolutely, those films yeah. or Bradley the, Cooper <laughs> or yeah. Or the, the problematic nature of movies from, you know, the, the, our era of, of growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, things like, like Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura is a film yeah. that we both grew up on and, and we have an affection for, but we can't deny the transphobic nature of the movie, especially having rewatched it more recently. And, and that's something that is very hurtful and 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 you have to listen to the people that are being critical of it and and have been hurt by it and and i think that those opinions and criticisms are valid and and you have to take that into consideration but i don't want to write off the movie either because i really did love the film and i don't think paul thomas anderson's intent there was to be offensive or provocative in that in that sense i think he actually is making a commentary whether or not he does it well that is something no, i think that, he missed the mark in that scene i i don't disagree with that and and but i, I think he makes up for it in, in other ways yeah please but go, i don't want to i know I, you really liked it yeah yeah and, and and again like i just like the idea of a movie that isn't in any rush to kind of go anywhere or do anything specific it does touch on historical moments with you know the gas so, uh, shortage in the 1970s but also like you know you have John Peters, who is a real person, and obviously there's a full circle thing with Bradley Cooper playing it. Again, it was a role that Leonardo DiCaprio was originally up for, but I think he turned it down because it was. Did Cooper just take every Leo role? Yeah, and I think Cooper turned both, and I think DiCaprio turned both of those roles down in Nightmare Alley and in this because they're similar to Shutter Island and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They kind of feel like characters that he's already played. So I Cooper's just I'll take your scraps exactly. But but again, I can understand why. like anybody Cooper, but... would want to work with Paul Thomas Anderson, Absolutely. even if you're or Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, and and it's and it's interesting as well with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. But going back to the Cooper thing, just really quickly, him playing a real character, 
But then you have people like Sean Penn, who's playing a stand-in for William Holden. And then you have somebody that's playing a stand-in for Lucia Ball, uh, who we'll be talking about with being the Ricardos. <laughs> so that's kind of so interesting as well, that things, he's yeah. he's he's replacing some actors and changing their last name or their first name. But then some characters are just the real person. The same thing with the Benny Safdie character, who's actually a real politician um, in the in the early 1970s. And yeah, so I wonder why that is. That yeah, and 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 I guess maybe John Peters is such a bizarre character to begin with, a larger than life personality that you don't really need to change anything. Or maybe Paul Thomas Anderson's making a point that this guy was such a dick that, like, you know, e- even though there are certain aspects in the narrative that maybe sort of are fictionalized with the mm-hmm. Sean Penn character and, and with um, where everything is true with one character, but the other ones we have to give it a different name. Cause it's maybe, yeah. Cause yeah. we're kind of bending the reality, but even though you, you know who they are anyways, but then on top of that, I think it's also really interesting that like once upon a time in Hollywood, where Tarantino was casting a lot of actors that were the sons and daughters of um, very famous people, you have, actors that are related to others like again sean penn um this is the first time paul thomas anderson's worked with him but paul thomas anderson directed videos for michael penn um and michael penn's also married to amy mann amy mann did the score and a lot of the songs for magnolia uh you have the whole heim family uh playing the 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 actual family together in this movie um then you have uh speaking of leonardo dicaprio george dicaprio uh leonardo dicaprio's father as the waterbed salesman that comes in and i almost feel that this weirdly is kind of a response to tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood because the two of them have always admitted to having a competition with one another where like they'll watch you know, their, their latest movie and be like, okay. They're buddies though, right? Yeah. 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 That story where they did like cocaine or yeah, something. With Fiona, and then, when, when, when Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. was still dating Fiona Apple. And she was uh, like, it was the most excruciating night of my life, which I can only imagine, <laughs> but it seems like Paul Thomas Anderson over the years has become more laid back as he's become a family like that, yeah. man where Tarantino, maybe is he still... is now because he's a dad, but like, it does feel like, Paul Thomas Anderson and, and his filmmaking style, like, you know, early on was very much inspired by the kinetic energy and ensemble nature of Robert Altman movies. And then kind of went through like this Kubrick phase with movies like the master and even, you know, phantom thread. And now he's kind of going back to the Altman S kind of style with a little bit of link later. Cause he also even admitted saying that everybody wants him was a big reason why he wanted to kind of do this. What a flick that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's an amazing movie as well. And, and, and I wish more people had, had seen that film when it came out, but hopefully, you know, if, if you like licorice pizza, you'll go back and, and watch everybody. Great wants double some. feature. I would book that. Oh, for definitely. Sure. Definitely. And less problematic. I would say everybody wants some is doing something kind of a, a little bit more, kind of sensitive with the material mm-hmm. that it's playing with. But yeah, I, 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 I do think the other thing that you mentioned that is worth repeating with the age gap thing is the weird double standard where it's like, okay, because it's an older woman, it's not as icky compared to if it was a guy that was 25 and an adolescent teen that was 15, that was a woman. A female, and, a young girl. And I think playing into that is not great because right. like, I feel like if you- I just don't think it makes a decision. I think it ultimately kind of leaves it up in the air and it's yeah. almost like, okay, I, I like these characters enough to not portray 
who they are, even though, or even though they have feelings for each other. But then at times it's also like, okay, well, there's going to be a moment in their lives where maybe like they will kind of address this in some way or what, but, but it doesn't make that commitment. And again, I'm, I'm not advocating for that, but I still love the movie enough to be able to take that criticism with the praise that I'm giving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but going back to like, I still had a pretty good time with the movie. Like, I think the music, uh, we haven't focused enough on it, I think is just absolutely fantastic. Uh, whether the soundtrack, which you guys can go listen to, um, you know, on streaming services, it's really, 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 really good. Some, you have David Bowie's life on Mars, which also played in the trailers, but then you have like Clarence Carter's slip away. Uh, you have some CanCon content in there with uh, Gordon Lightfoot, which mm-hmm. I thought was wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way that the songs are sort of uh, put into the film, they kind of feel organic, like the conversations that yeah. these characters are having. And even though Johnny Greenwood's score isn't as maybe sort of um, – it doesn't stand out it's as much. It's not utilized as much because there's so much licensed music. Yeah, yeah but it does but it's work. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's still great. And yeah, to your point, Eric, like – using this much music there's only certain people tarantino with again hollywood and other things like that too or is one of those guys that um you use so much music it can become obnoxious but it just kind of works in a movie like this where it is kind of just you know a hangout laid back kind of um you know not necessarily plot driven movie where it's just kind of like and this would be the music that they're kind of listening to in this era that um it just totally absolutely works and then um just from a filmmaking perspective again pta one of the best that there is a sequence at a um uh it's kind of like a fair like a not a science fair but it's like a young well, it's, people, it's it's like comic con um, for for for, for business young business kids with businesses yeah. or something but like you see john crap. c Riley playing um, uh fred gwynn uh it's Ed like a Monster. young person's festival like yeah. think of like a fan expo or a comic con but in the 70s that's not as nerdy as that but still nerdy um the Batmobile so, was out front at the beginning of that, that is scene. it is kind of like a comic-con then yeah. yeah so um and pta classic one shot take going through this whole um i just i'm always i'm a sucker for that stuff even though like it whether it's overdone or not but like well it's copying guys, scorsese right yeah, Where, like it's like that one take everyone, that goes into yeah. the yes. into the room like in boogie nights with like the disco sequence at the beginning and everyone's you know all these guys who are inspired by stuff like that do one of these in each movie and i'm uh, whether it's in an action movie like no time to die with fukunaga or in something like this like i'm just a sucker for one takes and when they're done really really well um and i think this one is i just think um being so elaborate and just like how much goes into the, just this one sequence. And there's just something when you clue into what's happening, you're like, Oh yeah, one takes rule, man. And then that's when you get the John C. Riley cameo and which is fun. And just like the introduction to Gary's waterbed business. And just like, um, I think that sequence is such a standout of being, and you mentioned the other sequence that's super thrilling of when they run out of gas in the truck and have to go down in reverse down, you know, the mountains and, uh, or the hills in, in, and the way that that cuts, it's so yeah. suspenseful in the way that I can almost see him being like, he watched, you know, William Friedkin's remake of uh, Wages of Fear, <laughs> Sorcerer. It's like, I got to have my own like version of this. Like, cause like Paul Thomas Anderson always talks about like watching TCM and stuff like that. And like mm-hmm. just being kind of like a cool, chill dad. And um, 
yeah, like you can tell, like he has a love, even though he didn't maybe necessarily come of age at this point in the 1970s, he has such a love and affinity for this point in time in the 1970s. And it comes through in, in, in every moment and every choice he makes as a filmmaker, as a director specifically. And yeah, whether it's a one take or whether it's, you know, just how a certain cut plays, um, if, if it being comedic or dramatic or a little bit of both, I think he he has really he's one of those guys that I do think has matured the most out of all of the kind of 90s filmmakers that kind of were yeah the promise of that time so the tarantinos the steven soderbergs the robert rodriguez's the spike jones i i think out of all of them he's the guy that's maintained and wes anderson as well he's the guy that's kind of maintained a style that echoes throughout his entire career but at the same time is versatile yeah because you look at phantom thread and then like which was his last movie (laughs) it's so but you still see it from the same filmmaker tailored's a great term (laughs) but like um you can still really like those auteur elements i I, like again i I hate that term but like it's just the easiest way to describe it but like those elements you can see and he but i agree with you that he is the most versatile where some of those other guys are not necessarily doing the same movie over and over again but their styles are so distinct that like their movies all kind of feel like not the same, but like, I There's mean, I singular love singular visions, but there is yeah. repetition there with like Tarantino being the guy that does the revenge movie, but kind of does it now as like a prestigious kind of revenge movie. But then Wes Anderson kind of doing his kind of tweet thing live action over and over. cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Paul Thomas Anderson has those certain sort of, uh, yeah, you know, it's going to shot on film. It's going to have Greenwood. <laughs> like it's going to have yeah. certain things that are, you know, like a big ensemble, like you're say- saying, but not always like, though, as well. Always, like you look yeah. at something like there will be blood. There will be blood is a movie is more that of a character piece. Yeah. And, and is really focused on specifically Daniel day Lewis. And that yeah. was the first time that he worked with Johnny Greenwood. And since then he's kind of carried him over. But then like you even look at something, even like the master, like the master has a, an amazing ensemble cast, but it's central three characters characters are philip seymour hoffman joaquin phoenix and mm-hmm. amy adams mm-hmm. and so like him doing that i i like inherent vice quite a bit but i liked licorice pizza more and it felt like inherent vice was the movie where it was more regressive to what he had done with magnolia and boogie nights where if you were to play boogie nights and licorice pizza they are companion pieces in a way but at the same time you can tell how much he's grown as a person over the course of the decades in making movies. And I think that that is really, really important. Um, And I just think that like, again, somebody that is willing to grow and change over the the period of, of which they are making movies, but still maintaining their signature style has always been just kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. I went to go, I bought, I found Boogie Nights on VHS at a thrift store the other day and I was going to grab it, but it's buried <laughs> back there somewhere. I hooked up my VHS uh, or VCR that Nevis's dad left. Um, bless him for keeping a VCR all these years because I started buying um, certain movies when I go to thrift stores now because they're like $2 on VHS. And I feel like they're in, like, I love all your Blu-rays behind you, Eric. But like, um, I just, I'm, to me, I'm, I'm, I've gone fully 
it's like you're vinyl, right? Yeah, I, I've gone mostly digital when it comes to you know a quality perspective of watching movies because I do find it. I'm a snob when it comes to that stuff, but I do find you know digital 4K Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos on certain platforms is good for me. Like I don't necessarily need to put a disc in, even though I still love having certain discs. So I found like, okay, instead of collecting Blu-rays and 4Ks, I'm going to start collecting VHS. <laughs> so like I, I got Boogie Nights and I, I hooked up the, it's so wild to watch a, a VHS on a 4K OLED TV because I hooked up the VCR to that TV. Um, I, I haven't imagine. put in... I haven't put in Boogie Nights, but um, yeah, I just think this is, it's a fun hangout movie. I just don't think it's going to leave a lasting impression on me. Like I had a fairly good time watching it, even if I had some uh, hangups that I, I didn't love that one joke and I the relationship. And I, I think the ending doesn't quite work for me. And I think that's what left kind of a bitter... Uh, taste like black licorice in my mouth. But like, I just, I did like Cooper Hoffman. I think he took a second to warm up. Um, like I, I didn't love the opening moments of the movie. It felt very um, rehearsed and it didn't feel organic. But then as the movie kind of went along and I, I learned about his character and how he was, I'm like, Oh, I understand why he's talking that way. And like, um, I warmed up to the character and the I, precocious I do nature. Of yes. Yeah. Where I feel like at first it really felt like two people delivering dialogue in those opening moments. And I was just like, Ooh, I don't love this. And then I warmed up to them and I loved Alana Haim and, and I warmed up to Cooper Hoffman. And I think like you said, they, they do feel like, you know, real people and like without, you know, a ton of makeup and their imperfections and just that plays out through the whole movie and imperfections is probably a good word where this movie portrays the good and the bad of that era. And it just kind of presents it to you. And and while I had a problem with how it presented the one kind of uh, racial, what I believe is a, a, a race joke, but uh, don't love that. And I don't love how it kind of ends up with their relationship. I still think there's a lot of fun to be had. It looks great. The production design is great. The music is great. Um, and it is a fun movie. Um, I just, for me, it didn't completely work where I like enjoyed myself and I'm curious to revisit it. And I do want to see it on film because to go back how I started, like we saw it at Lightbox, but I don't think they had their 70 mil print yet. I do believe it was a digital print of it and i would have loved to see it even the light box is the greatest place to see a movie like it looked and sounded phenomenal um i would just love to see it on film i think that would be really uh, great and if you have an opportunity to do so i think you should do that but um any final thoughts eric before i uh yeah i'll know. just quickly say um I, i've mentioned it before on the regular show i think and even when we were talking about the trailer but the title itself refers to a record store uh, oh, cool. That was yeah. kind of prominent in the San Fernando Valley. It would be, you know, the equivalent to uh, Torontonians like Sam the Record Man. And it also features in Fast Times at Richmond High, which is also kind of a nice little kind of connective kind of thing to Sean Penn Sean as well. Penn, yeah. yeah. Cool. And uh, I also I mean, really like Sean Penn in this movie who has yeah, these that monologues that kind of feel like that's what it would be like hanging out with Sean Penn. <laughs> yeah. And those moments, like you said, with the agent and the producers, like the movie portrays that, yeah, not everyone was great. Uh, you know, sometimes the excuse of if it was a different time. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of what 
the movie is ultimately well, saying even the, a lot, even the but... bar that they always go to hang out at it's called tail o'cock which is yeah. like this gentleman's bar for basically you know um sort of dating and mingling and things like that and um, you know, the way that it's used throughout the movie is really interesting because you have mm-hmm. all these kind of sorts of people, whether they be kind of big name celebrities or faded stars from the past, kind of all interconnecting there. And and, and another guy that we didn't mention that I really love in this movie as well as Tom Waits. Anytime Waits, he shows same up, sequence with, uh, yeah. he has this kind of gonzo director and, and sort of where that goes and he kind of becomes um, – Sean Penn's uh, wingman in, in, in a weird way. Um, and even the juxtaposition there between, you know, what we were talking about with the relationship between Alana and, and Gary, and then you see how, you know, Sean Penn and, and Alana uh, in the movie, I think that is intentional of like, you know, one feels predatory and the other doesn't. Right. Well, then, also like, I think, I think Alana is, in control of the situation of both Be- i think yeah 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 but, but specifically with the sean penn stuff because she's also trying to make gary jealous yes and i agree i just i mean the perspective there i think is interesting but i do think she's in control of both like yeah she's not being taken advantage of in either um situation because she is probably the one in control and she is actually um which I, I just think that's interesting. Um, but I'm going to give the movie, I, I'm teetering like between just giving it a soft pass, but uh, at a three, but like, I think I, I would go as high as a three and a half. Cause I do think it is. Um, I go back and forth on it. Like I still ultimately like the movie and I'm curious to rewatch it. So I'm going to give it a three and a half. Like I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. I, I love the movie and again, blemishes and all. And, and, and I think that the criticisms that were brought up are, are valid. Um, but I still, think it's my at least favorite narrative movie of the year yeah so um i'm gonna give it a five out of five love it uh, love it dude it's great and 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 again i just think the way that paul thomas anderson portrays loneliness in movies is really fascinating as well and feels genuine the way that we're all trying to connect to one another or trying to share something and find somebody else to do that with i think says something and especially just kind of what that means and how we do that and how we express ourselves and how we can also be our own worst enemies um in in doing that and i think that that's something that's very vulnerable in in his filmmaking that doesn't always get a lot of uh credit and and you see that time and time again Mm -hmm, for sure uh thank you all for listening um that'll wrap up this episode we have tons of other reviews that we would love for you guys to go check out you can check out our reviews for nightmare alley red rocket the kingsman uh we should have reviews up for being the ricardos benedetta tragedy of Macbeth, the lost daughter the matrix resurrections the tender bar uh serrano and more uh so you can check all of those out on untitled movie reviews which is the channel you're on right now or you can search it on youtube podcast services all that jazz the one-stop shop for everything uh is untitled underscore movies over on letterbox you can find the videos audio all of that stuff over there um please rate us on spotify that's a brand new thing that they're letting you do uh but over on apple podcast helps as well so that would be wonderful if you guys could do that uh thank you all for listening as always my name is matt rorbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all those social medias at matt rorbeck and i'm eric march and you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at em6211 until next time do you like peanut butter sandwiches <laughs>